40 of Girls Gone Canon, Week 1 in A Dance with Dragons. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet at www.liesandarborgold.com or on Twitter and Tumblr as Lies and Umber. Lies and Arbor. Lies and Umber. Wow. That's a good one. House Lies and Umber. <laughs> that, I mean, that is what they are in many ways, as we'll see here oh later. But it's not that deep. I'm another one of your hosts, Eliana, and you might know me from Twitter as Arithmetric or as Glass Table Girl on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit or on the Maester Monthly podcast, which speaking of, because that's how I'm going to segue for all of these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have an awesome guest with us from the Maester Monthly podcast and another moderator on our A Song of Ice and Fire. We have Bookshelf Stud on with us today. Hello. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm I'm so happy to be here to be official girl gone canon now. Um, yes, I am. You're a bookshelf gone. I canon. am a bookshelf gone canon. I am Michael, also known as Bookshelf Stud. Um, as the, they they've pointed out, you can find me on Maester Monthly on the subreddit slash r slash aswaf and on Twitter at Bookshelf Stud as well. Yeah, that's you. That's me. That's you. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm so excited. Thanks for coming on. This is going to be really oh, good. Thank you guys. I, yeah. It's it's a very sad episode to bring you on for but it is a little bit uh yeah th- this was not the, the cheeriest this is what we think matter. of yeah glad you yeah. thought of me <laughs> yeah no problem i mean michael has a lot of feelings so it'll be fun uh, i assume yeah. you do yeah no i do they're all bottled up <laughs> yeah i'm never gonna let, <laughs> we'll them, let them out let them out, let them out today. this is gonna be an interesting one <laughs> anyway so we have a whole episode here today for you fine friends and again, this is a reread, so you know what is coming, but we just want to throw out there a content warning that, of course, Theon's Dance with Dragons chapters are very graphic, and we will be discussing issues of abuse and sexual assault in today's episode and the upcoming episodes, but we'll we'll flag that read time for you as well. Yeah. I'm going to need a Xanax after these God weeks. Damn. Like, every week. True. Like, daily. Holy well, shit. The last, these are some traumatic chapters. At least the last chapter like, ends on a fist pump, you know? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, no, that's Asha's chapter. Shit. Well, no, no, I mean, well, yeah. Kind of. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, this too, though, his last chapter does too. I mean, yeah. which we're going to talk about later for sure. The leap to faith. Oh, yeah. No, but I'm definitely, I'm, I'm going to be pounding the St. John's board after this one's over. Um, <laughs> what? No, you know, like like an herbal supplement for, for cheering my mood up? Do you, do oh, you know? I didn't know that's what that I was. Get it. Yeah, St. John's wort. Yeah. We're getting cultured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much witchy. <laughs> but we do have some emails and tweets of note today. Yeah, Eliana, you'll love this. We got a review on oh. iTunes. Not as exciting as a Podbean comment, though. So settle down. Uh, <laughs> we got a comment from Happy Sleeper 88 who said we were binge-worthy. I love the Girls Gone canon. They are insightful and fun. I just caught up and I'm excited for more, but sad I now have to wait and I can't binge listen new episodes. Chloe and Eliana, thank you for keeping me company through some late night feeding sessions with my six month old baby. She likes listening too, and her first words maybe get a job. Okay, but have you thought about dad? No. Yeah, I think that would be so much funnier as your child's first words. I mean, these are actual words that your child will probably want to learn early on anyway. But to be fair, like her kid walking around grocery stores and telling people to get a job, that could be good too. That's true, or anywhere. I mean, like this kid's gonna be employment focused. <laughs> this kid is gonna be employment focused. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Taking him to the career center. That's great. Exactly. <laughs> Have him take a uh, what's the test? The the aptitude test. Oh, yeah. exactly. 
Maybe that's what they. What are you gonna be when you grow up, kid? Jobless, like Littlefinger. Uh, <laughs> Christ. <laughs> well, no, happy sleeper, eighty-eight. Your child will be gainfully employed, fulfilled. Yeah, we believe in them and you. Thank you for listening to Hopefully us. Hopefully, they won't be conniving, evil. Yeah, people that don't have jobs. They're gonna be a normal kind of ambitious. Yeah, yeah. There's some people that should get some jobs in this chapter too. Now that we oh, mentioned it, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's another thing that we would like to discuss. This isn't technically, in my opinion, Girls Gone Canon related, but it kind of is. It is. It was dedicated to me, so yeah. I feel like it is. Exactly. It came up on my timeline. I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And then I saw it was directed at you, and I was like, mm, "I think that counts." And it is of note. So this tweet, it comes from Aaron, a.k.a. Sir Jamie of Tarth. So Aaron tweeted, Sir Jamie of Tarth tweeted, A-G-O-T equals A-GOT. This is all sounded out. This is very, very good. Because to me, I'm just saying what I'm seeing, you yeah. know, which is A-GOT. Yeah. Which is why I'm feeling very attacked right now. <laughs> but she tweeted, A-G-O-T equals A-GOT. A-C-O-K equals a Again, feeling attacked. Is this an attack or just facts? No, I, th- I mean facts. Objective. ASOS equals ASOS. AFC, AFFUCK, which I don't say that one. So, mm-hmm. And then it gets a little sillier with ADWD equals ADWDA, <laughs> which I like that one a lot. I'm going to have to start one. saying that. ADWDA. You should say that from now on. Uh, so we're talking about ADWDA today. <laughs> I mean, now that I'm thinking about it in my head, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much how... How a dance with dragons gets sounded out. It might be more a little lower, more like lower, you know, a duda, like kind of. Yeah, maybe the cadence of it is yeah. a little. A uh, like I, I still don't know about a f- a fuck though. That's yeah, a fuck. Yeah, don't forget the second f. I think I think I'd go with afk. You know, afk. I like afk. So this all started, Michael. Maybe you can give a little exposition mm. here on uh, aswa. Yes. Your pronunciation. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm an a swath. I'm sorry, I'm a a swath. Uh, not to be prissy. Yeah, I mean, a swath is a good variant. That's like the northern uh, dialect. But as a, as a southerner, as a southerner, <laughs> uh, it's definitely ass swath. <laughs> I mean, um, oh no ass swath. That's that's how I've always pronounced the subreddit in my head. And I remember back when we were first starting Maester Monthly, we were talking about like, okay, what do we what do we call like people who listen to this? And we threw around ass waffles as an idea for the names of fans, oh. which uh, I still use. So I think we should now adopt uh, Aaron's pronunciations for people who are fans of the specific books. So you know, I a double yeah. If, if you're if that's your favorite, then you're an a double dower. No, no uh, a, a double dutter. <laughs> and I'm a and I'm just a fucker apparently. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we'll work on we that one, right? I, I, I don't know. I just feel like we could also go soft C, Afish. Oh. I don't I've... say ASOS as ASOS. I say it as like ASOS, but yeah. Yeah. I say ASOS, so. ASOS, uh, making the sauce. Say lovey. Yeah. Lovey. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, please check out Michael's YouTube channel where he has many great <laughs> cooking videos. Speaking of sauce. I can't believe we haven't talked about that's it yet. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, yeah. Well, I, I am making another one. Currently, there will be. What are you making? I can't tell anyone yet. It's a secret. Okay, well, it's, we will definitely have to repost it for all of the adoring fans. <laughs> it's the fourth entry in my recipe trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thankfully, we're going to be talking about food 
later on in this chapter. Maybe not Christ. the delicacies oh. that you create, Some but snacks. <laughs> snacks. <laughs> Some rodential treats. So uh, rodential and phalangic. Oh, God. Those are words. Uh, thank you. $7 words. Like for, for 9 a.m., not mm-hmm. bad. Not We're bad. doing amazing. But first, first, we should get into our lightning round. Uh, Michael, your first time on the oh. show. Ready for your first lightning oh, round? Oh, first time, long this time. Is... I'm so ready. Yeah. <laughs> so for the fans, you know our lightning round. We're going to catch up on what we really missed in A Feast for Crow from Reek's plot. And, of course, get into what we've missed so far in Adobada. I can't believe you said A Feast for Crow is, like, not a fuck. <laughs> No, and then I said a yeah, da totally true. natural. I guess I'm in a da 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 You gotta put the udder at the end of the, the name of the book. Uh, yeah. Freaking, I'm that, I'm that Wayne Wood guy right now. Oh my now. god. Okay. So, in A Feast for Crows, Ramsay has become the castellan of the Dreadfort and is gathering an army to lead south to Motkale and to throw the Iron Thorn down. Also, mm. Jamie sees Arya, question mark, question mark, question mark, off before she heads north to marry Ramsay Snow Bolton. Which launches us into a <laughs> God damn it. I just can't not say I, it I now. know. I know. I think you should you, wrap your tongue around and, you know, get the taste of it. Yeah, you know, just really dip my toes in. In the prologue of A Dance with Dragons, Varamir Sixskins is dying and searches for a new body to take over. Then in Tyrion's first chapter in Adoida, uh, buried deep in alcohol and guilt, Tyrion makes his way to Illyrio Mopatis's manse in Pentos. And then in Daenerys' first chapter in Adoida, because I want to join in the fun. <laughs> it's so fun. Daenerys' soldiers are murdered in the night by the sons of the Harpy, but by the chapter's end, she learns that her dragons have been doing some murdering themselves! <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> really I thought that was a good transition, thanks. I can't, some of these you're like, wow, how did you just sum that whole chapter up in like one sentence, Chloe, you're a legend. Thank you. you. Are a legend. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> John 1. By night, John dreams through the eyes of a wolf. By day, he treats with kings. The red woman gives him an ominous but familiar message. In Bran 1, Cold Hands, an undead ranger, guides Bran's RPG party through the forest and tells them of the three eyed crow. Crow, not raven. That's right. Corn, corn. <laughs> Tyrion too. Tyrion makes his way up the Roin, smuggled out by Illyrio, sent to solidify a new husband for the Dragon Queen. Aw. Sounds like a really nice little matchmaking yeah. service. I bet it's going to turn out great. It is, like in Mulan, the matchmaking. Oh. It's really great there. Wow. <laughs> well, side by side with Tyrion too, we have the Merchant's Man. Adventure stinks. Quentin takes off on a dazzling trip to win the heart of a beautiful queen. Hooray, Quentin. Um, uh, in, My son. In John's second chapter, we get a behind-the-scenes look at Sam 1 in Effuck. But this time, with a <laughs> twist, we learn the motives behind John's seemingly cold actions in this director's cut of the chapter. <laughs> Tyrion 3. <laughs> Tyrion meets the Griff family and puzzles out exactly who they are. Davos 1. Davos is captured at Sisterton and learns news of the realm. Borel tells Davos a story of another honorable man who visited Sisterton once. Borel lets Davos go, just like his father did for Ned Stark. In John's third chapter, a lot of bullshit happens in this chapter. Get ready for some Magor lightning. Ah, uh-huh. get it? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> insert the insert the laughs right here. Uh, John is upset about Stanny burning Mance and the Horn of Joraman. Stanny puts on an Azora High show for the Wildlings, making them burn their gods for salvation. And finally, Bowen Marsh, the pomegranate himself, isn't happy about John's politics, and Eamon thinks Stanny is not the real deal. Well, if Grandpa Eamon says so. Mm-hmm. Grandpa knows best. Yep, sure does. Granddaddy dead dragon. <laughs> Imagine this to the tune of uh, Mother Knows Best from Tangled. Eamon oh, knows God, best. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Works. Daenerys too. More murder happens at the Orion Marine Express. She gets a weird vision of Quaith with some cryptic message slash warning. She goes to work, deals with some people there, and she later chats about Dad Stark with Barristan. See, Danny has a job. She does. Yeah, she does. She has got mm-hmm. a job, doesn't she? Yeah, she sure does. <laughs> you know, a lot of the ladies in these chapters, I've noticed, always have jobs. But then you have people like Tyrion just fucking around or Littlefinger existing. It's just like, what are you doing? Get a fucking job. <laughs> and that launches us into Theon and a Dumbada, a dance with uh, dragons. It just doesn't get old. No. It doesn't get old. Will it? I don't know. <laughs> I think it, there's a point where it gets old, but if you commit and keep doing yeah. it, it comes back around again. That's right. I think like if you wait and then you come back with it, like slip it, you put it on the table real soft, you know, just slip it yeah. in. I think that's when it's going to be good after another 10 minutes of it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot, obviously, that happens in a dance with dragons and Theon's arc. And of course, right at the top, as everyone knows, because this is the Song of Ice and Fire, there's a continuation about this idea and question of identity. We talked a lot during A Clash of Kings about how Theon was wrestling with that idea of who is he as an Ironborn, who is he as a Stark, somewhere in between, and trying to figure out exactly what his place is and all this. And this idea of identity goes in a different direction entirely and is taken to the complete extreme with reek and of course we see a lot of that idea of who is family take on a different tone in oh no now i can't like say it because we said we're gonna rest it for 10 minutes in dance um regarding (laughs) blood no i said after 10 minutes we were gonna rest it for a little bit so you're good you should just have said it you're right adoida it's so early everyone oh gosh <laughs> so early questions about um you know who is family like the, the show gives us one version of what theon ends up seeing as his family and of course we see him interact with asha earlier on and then we're gonna see him come back around for that in in dance but we have those questions and people calling theon a kinslayer and questions of what does that mean is it about the miller's boys is it about the ties and how close Mm. he was with house stark so there's all of that yeah you hear roderick cassell in the last uh chapter that we talked about with amanda crowfood's daughter i mean roderick straight up was like you know you were you killed your brothers theon because as we see theon grew up with them you know, that's the familial kinslaying comes from that. But at the same time, he has all this family that he barely knows that doesn't even want to show up in his plot. You know, there's no Victorian in his plot. There's no Euron in his plot. There's Asha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, and just like they did in the show, that's obviously connected to the other characters like John, who is still Ned's son, even if he's not not Ned's son. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's all it's all connected. All the Stark kids, including Theon, because he's a Stark kid. Yes. Like, which you know, that was a really nice season seven touch when John was like, "You're always going to be a Stark." You know, you're a Greyjoy and a Stark dude. You're always it's a fine, Stark. Chill. Like, yeah. also, that's what it needed. That like that's that's the whole thing that's going to fix Theon's identity issues, right? Like, why, we should have done this books ago. <laughs> I mean, he's episodes ago. He's both. <laughs> yeah, we should have. Fuck. Yeah. Theon, shut yeah. up. You're fine. You're both. Oh, I wish someone had told me that four years ago. <laughs> you're both sexual. What? <laughs> or I killed those children. Yeah, that's true. Really could have headed off some stuff, yeah. If only only I had John, whom I thought so poorly of to be my dad in this moment also. (laughs) Uh, Okay. And of course, that question of memory and how it ties into identity, like the things that you remember, which influence what you do, and the memories of that life that you have. Of course, we see the North remembers suddenly coming to the forefront of dance. (laughs) It is as much a part of Theon's storyline as well, and we're going to see that idea of remembrance repeated in the language of Reek One. Yeah, and we really get a firsthand view at the violence that keeps that North Remember a running war cry as well. I mean, when you think about it, we did see the North Remembers start up in clash against Theon, right? You see Roderick Cassell, who rises up and he does his duty to the Starks. I swore a vow, Theon, damn you. And that violence that keeps the North remembers the running war cry keeps going, especially in this chapter, we get the introduction to it. Ned wasn't always the most cunning per se, but he held up his end of the feudal contract for the most part, the best out of most of the Paramount Lords, I would say, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I wouldn't say any are awful in comparison to some of the Tywins of the world, but as far as Paramount Lords go, you know, the North is a lot different. The Bolton faction is obviously corrupt and bleeding, literally bleeding people. So it's a very, very stark oh. contrast. Oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> thanks. I'll be here all day. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> that was it. And of course, a lot of that bleeding is done by another, well, as in they are causing the bleeding, not themselves bleeding. Mm-hmm. Yet. Uh, another one of the big Aswath villains, Ramsay. Ramsay is one exploration, the same that Joffrey was, in how people abuse that hierarchy that they have and serves very much as a dark mirror to outcast characters like Theon and Jon, who both exist in this sort of like hier- hierarchical limbo. And while Ramsay, of course, is a version of Jon's storyline in terms of that dangers of overly ambitious bastards. He's also a version of Theon's storyline where we get to see someone become that quote-unquote legitimate Lord of Winterfell and what they do with that sort of power. He's everything Catelyn Stark would fear from a bastard, right? He's everything she sort of in her deepest fears thinks that Jon could be when Rob is talking about legitimizing him. So Ramsay totally explores that and is a great transition too from sort of major villains. You mentioned Joffrey and there's the, you know, the, the the dogs connection, obviously, with the hound and literal dogs and the sort of physical and emotional abuse. And Ramsay sort of transitions us from Joffrey towards Euron and his just complete, like Ramsay, lack of regard for anybody's autonomy or anything, but even on the metaphysical level. Like, he doesn't believe the world should exist without his permission. Whereas Ramsay is, is you know, limited to, like, things that he can see. Because he's just a, a big dumb idiot and, and sucks, but yeah. So Ramsay is this transition villain, kind of during the feast here, during the during the the feast for crows, and dance with dragons. <laughs> <laughs> 
Give it a while. You can say it again in a while. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm watching my time. Um, I'm just going to like keep a beeper yeah. here so I can just go beep. It's been like 20 <laughs> minutes. You can't say it yet. I really love what you just said there, Michael, about the transition with Euron as the next level, especially because we're going to get into all this exploration of the themes that we see in Euron's chapters. I mean, he does a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the psychological mm. kind of crazy stuff that you see from Ramsey, but he does it on the next level with like a layer of fucking dark wizard over him, you know? Yeah, exactly, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a little scarier. It's amped up to 10, and obviously, especially with the blood magic and all of that, it's like there's a actually, the stakes are actually there. Compared to Ramsey, obviously, we know something has to happen to get him out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ramsey's a very personal villain in some ways, but transitions to a larger one. And, of course, wrapped up in the way that Ramsey acts is this story about power, and perhaps inextricable from power, how abuse manifests. Mm. As you were saying regarding the dogs, both in The Hound and, of course, how Ramsey uses literal dogs and uses that as an exertion of that power and abuse, you have all of these issues of servitude and how that, you know, forcing people into it and making them act that role. There's always been this contrast throughout the series of dogs and wolves, you know, get her a dog, she'll be happier for it, that kind of thing. Um and so I think Ramsey is is another piece of that puzzle with the dogs, that as opposed to the Starks who have these wolves who are the, the noble wild beasts of nature, he is he is all about clamping down and putting collars around people and like that enforcing of the hierarchy as opposed to Bran or someone who has a good relationship with this wild thing. Yeah, it's, it's just another part of that wolf-dog puzzle symbol soup gumbo that, that George R. R. Martin's stirring up. Uh. so what you're saying what you're saying michael is that get her a dog she'll be happy for it was actually foreshadowing in the books for the scene in the show where sansa marries ramsey oh my god absolutely yes 100 percent. yeah that's why the show is so good is because (laughs) because they you know they they take these little clever things and oh yeah this oh my god it's too bad that the books also me like you know yeah Yeah, it's really too bad i mean they did make these books off of the show but (laughs) and i'm really glad they did no i love when they do that i love when they expand universes because Mm, mm -hmm. uh the david and dan gentlemen have just done such a good job of writing this expansive well-built universe great strong foundation so it's great that they let this newcomer george really sit down on a word word star and word star um (laughs) word star word star word star uh yeah i i do (laughs) i do also on the other level really appreciate that like it's sansan that line of sansan continue guys yeah i was like chloe's gonna love this this line (laughs) me him dogs the hound him get her a dog she'll be happier for it me is this pandering is this this sounds like pandering (laughs) and of course there's that idea of courage and heroism coming up in these chapters because we see very much how in a clash of kings oh sorry in acock how theon thinks that Mm. heroism is being in battles like the whispering one he thinks it's performing this ironborn masculinity and pillaging places and getting dad to like pat you on the shoulder which i mean sometimes it is but sometimes it's not but by the end of dance he finds this idea of actually true courage in the face of fear which is how it is defined by ned stark yeah for sure and it's connected to a lot of the big ideas about courage and heroism throughout the whole story and 
Ramsey's one of these people who's standing by in a room while something awful is happening, specifically to Jane Poole later in this this arc. And so it's it's opening up that question of like, well, what do you do if you're in the room when the worst possible thing is happening? Like, do you stand by? Do you do you turn away and pretend you don't see? Or do you do something about it? And in the end, he does something. And, and that it's like Brienne's no chance and no choice moment. It's it's like every moment where some character does something that's kind of suicidal, but really is trying to do something to make things better. I see that as the like the direction that it goes in a little bit. Even if he can't really kill Ramsay and take over the castle himself, he can do this one small thing that helps one person. And that's in the end, you know, that's uh the 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 real heroism is the friends we make along the way. So I think oh that's <laughs> God damn it. Uh especially when we see so many self serving knights, quote unquote, yeah. in this story and self serving just like lords and people, people that have obviously, like we said, signed that feudal contract and aren't up and upholding their end, you know. It's interesting and it's very refreshing to see characters like that who are just doing things not just for themselves anymore. Absolutely. The word that came to mind for me when you were discussing this idea of like doing something when something terrible is happening and, and standing up for it is this idea of like doing a noble act. And I think that that's something mm. that very much is a question. I don't think it's ever explicitly called out, of course, in, in the story, but this idea of what is nobility, because of course you have that idea of moral nobility of doing the right thing. And that's contrasted very much with how in terms of class, the nobility act and it all like mm. gets all gravy in these weak dance chapters as everyone is slipping in and out of different, stations Mm, yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely i mean we'll see in this chapter how the nobles of the north behave when they don't care about someone's well-being or like this this very chapter shows that off not just with ramsey but with other people oh exactly it's actually interesting because we get it and i'm gonna get into it later because i kind of go on a rant about it but we get that even in brand's chapters in clash you know we get Mm -hmm. we kind of get a look at the northern lords and a lot of these northern lords throughout all these books are pretty self-serving i mean yeah Wyman Manderley is like, oh, they murdered my family, blah, blah, blah. And I'm a Stark man through and through. And we're going to get Rick on, though, so I can be the regent of Winterfell. (laughs) And my reign in the north, you know, all in Ned Stark's name, of course, all in Ned Stark's name. But it's like you also know there's obviously self-serving in there. Like what the Manderleys who have probably the richest northern lords, obviously, after the Starks, I would say, like they have the most... dinero happen in there because of trade. Mm, So that moolah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Wyman. Okay, Wyman. We get it. You're More a like Wyman and Dinan, you know what I'm saying? Oh! <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's that's some dumb shit right there. That was good. That was good Thank shit. You. That was that good <laughs> shit. I'm on that good shit. I like it. I'm going from Wyman, Wyman, Wyman to the women. Oh. That, that was... Oh, the women. That was a good one, too. In the north and of Winterfell, we are going to see Ramsay talk about, you know, some of those Stark girls, but not those Stark girls, but also kind of those Stark girls, but other people are there too yeah we're gonna talk a lot more about female ladies in the north we get a handful in theon's chapters i really love that it's great to see george take time to sketch that out i feel like we see a lot of younger ladies sketched out and that it's nice that people like barbara and donella hornwood have a good amount of page time in these books compared to you know what you'd expect them to have as kind of supporting barely their female characters so i'm i'm pretty impressed about that It's also great that we get background and kind of ladies shaded out in most of the regions right now. Like we have in the Vale, we have Miranda and Maya who are starting to have a good amount of like backstory and personality and, you know, whatever exposition. 
We have Cersei in King's Landing and Tyena for a while with her. A little weaker, I guess, but you do have Marjorie and etc. Sansa's not there now, so that kind of takes that camera away. And then Dorne, we have tons of leading ladies there, which like, I don't know about you guys, but I just imagine the Sand Snakes having their own intro song and like, mm. just like some sort of cartoony animated intro song with like different colors for each person and little like the Sailor Sand Snakes. Ditties. Yeah, very exactly. That's exactly. The thing that I keep meaning to make one day and never do. That could be that could be Ice and Fire time costumes. Oh, that's my true. Wow. I'd be into it. I'd be into it. And then in the north, we have a ton of females. I mean, as we said, Barbara, we have Donella, Val in John's plot, Melisandre, Celise, Shireen, even Wyla Manderly gets some pages. Liana Mormont's heard from. And I do feel like the North tends to have a little bit more of the female rule as well. You don't hear as many female rulers in, you know, the crown lands, et cetera. So I think war also kind of comes into play because after this war and after everyone's husband died fighting for Rob, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. the females have been forced to rule. So it's really interesting to see that turn of the tide in rulership and stewardship in the North. Yeah, exactly. This is just a random aside, but I think that, George mentioned that he had an Aunt Barbary, right, at the Fire and Blood mm-hmm. event, and I'm wondering, yeah. is mm-hmm. Barbary Dustin named after her? That's That was the thought that I had. Oh, I'm sure. She totally feels like someone's, like, the aunt who you see, like, once a decade at, like, a, a funeral or something, and she's, like, really bitter. Mm. I feel like that's an archetype that a lot of people can can tap into. Yeah, she, she's a very real character in that sense. Yeah. Among other themes that we're going to talk about with loss... There's a lot of loss we're going to discuss. Mm. And of course, what is justice? Who deserves forgiveness? Who deserves mercy? And when should vengeance be served to people? Yeah. And that's one of the big ideas in dance generally, you know, is is this vengeance and forgiveness and mercy and all that. And jumping ahead a little bit to the end of Theon's arc, which, you know, spoiler alert. But I think all of this does suggest that deep down the author or at least the story is still pretty romantic about some of these ideas. Theon can't exactly atone for or like wash out the bad things that he's done, but he is still able to do good things while he's alive. He might not be able to make everything better, but he can do good things still. And I I feel like that's kind of what the idea of forgiveness and mercy and justice are all tied up in is not necessarily like atoning one-to-one for what you've done. Maybe not like Stannis's cutting off finger bones thing, but just doing good things now. Like, like you, you still have your life, you're still alive, you can still do good in the world. So, I, I mean, Theon's really at the heart of that in the fifth book of the series Song of Ice and Fire. Of course, this all lands us into Reek 1, a brand new point of view. God damn it. <laughs> in Reek 1... Reek was Ramsay Snow, so now we have a new fellow who is starving in the bowels of the Dreadfort. Who is he? Who is she? He used to smile, he used to always be smiling, but now he doesn't so much on account of some missing teeth and some other parts. And so that brings us into Reek 1, where honestly it was just so hard to not want to read every line of this chapter aloud because... When we talk about the writing getting better in dance, like this is this is a perfect example of it. Like mm. it's so good, yeah, but so absolutely. terrible. It's really good. No, it, yeah, it's it's excellent, and it's it's uh it's very short and punchy. It's a really short chapter. It's like eight pages in the paperback or something. So compared to some of these other really dense, like John three chapters that just stretch on and on with all these little details, like Reek one is is just a proverbial punch in the gut. Well written and doesn't linger too much on things that really it could linger on like horrible horrible things 
Yeah, it kind of edges into horror without being as gross as it could be. Yeah, there's a lot of edging. Uh, yeah, what the yeah, fuck? very lots of edging. <laughs> Uh, 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 these chapters are really rough. This is gonna be rough. They are. And like in theory, it, as you were saying, it's a short chapter, and not a lot technically happens in terms of action. But yeah, it's such an exposition chapter that it can span those eight pages and still be entertaining because of how like that slow reveal. Yeah, I mean when you when you yeah. put it in bullet points of like what physically happens, it's a guy goes upstairs. That's the whole chapter. Yes. A guy goes upstairs to the to the kitchen or something like which says a lot about how monumental it is for him to do that and how long he's yes. been down there. Honestly. True. Yeah, yeah. True. I mean, he does go up to a feast, but it does start with him Across. having a little feast, right? Uh, it does. Um, <laughs> Reek, who we're introduced to, has a rat. It's very exciting. The rat is still alive, but Reek is just Ooh. too hungry and must just bite into its soft, warm belly. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, before uh, Rick can fully enjoy his meal, though, things start happening. Voices are here. Yes, so let me read this passage real quick. At once he stilled, fearing even to chew. His mouth was full of blood and flesh and hair, but he dare not spit or swallow. He listened in terror, stiff as stone, to the scuff of boots and the clanking of iron keys. No, he thought. No, please, gods, not now, not now. It had taken him so long to catch the rat. If they catch me with it, they will take it away, and then they'll tell, and Lord Ramsay will hurt me. He knew he ought to hide the rat, but he was so hungry. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andy Circus. That was, uh, take care, buddy. I'll see you. <laughs> Well, you made that passage mm. much more stomachable, so thank <laughs> yeah, you. I thank you, because otherwise I'm sitting here and I'm like gagging. Uh, I'm like, mm. Yeah, flesh and blood and hair. Uh, yeah, that's, oh, no. thanks. Yeah, you could, you, you could stop saying it. You already said <laughs> it once. It's so bad. <laughs> oh. yeah. uh, Everyone, it's not that yeah. we're not taking the, uh, the Reek chapter seriously. It's This is how we, no. this is the way we can like deal with it at this moment. This is our coping yes. mechanism yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I I think that like I, there's what is there to say? There, there's just that question of what the hell are we talking about here? And then there's that, and we know now that Reek is not Ramsey, as he was revealed in Clash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also like we leave Clash with Theon being knocked out. So the whole transformation idea and how this reveal is coming is like it really. This especially just hammers in like he's been down there in the dark forever. Like it's been books. Like mm-hmm. we haven't seen him mm-hmm. in forever. He's been starving for days and he's super skinny, but like he's got that like swollen belly thing going on and like the hollow kind of thing. And it's just a complete contrast of all the last times we saw him versus now like him in his lordly clothes, you know, his velvet, his gold chain. It's so haunting, so effective. Like I usually love the arcs and feasts just a little more than in dance, but Amen. dance is really dense, oh. right? And it's so good. The dance is yeah. dense. Mm-hmm. Dance is <laughs> yeah, dense. Dance is dense. It's it's just heart wrenching stuff. It's very the prose is there. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's awful, and it's there. It's all. Oh. This is one of the few things too that actually may have worked a little better with the very long gap between books. Mm-hmm. I mean, Clash comes out in 1998, and then we don't see Theon again until 2011. Yeah. It's 13 years IRL. Like now, obviously, you can just read them within a month of each other. But, you know, imagine coming at it as a fan who read it in 98 and then you you get to book five and you're like, oh, my God, Theon, I forgot about him. Like, 
what happened? Yeah. Um, I, I was lucky enough to read them all in a row. You yeah. know, I joined on t- later. So, mm-hmm. and I think that like helps, but that I wish I had that effect of just not knowing and all of a sudden, oh my God, Theon, shit. Yeah, especially if you didn't like reread all four books before 2011 rolled around, which some people did, I'm sure, and some people didn't, but yeah, I read them all like very quickly, consecutively. I think I read... Mm-hmm. Clash in one week, storm the next, and then feast the next, and then yeah. moved on to dance. Totally. But even then, like it feels like a lifetime away because you've gone through an entire like two books. There's entire character arcs, and so many things have happened that when you get mm-hmm. here, it's still jarring. Of like, what the red wedding happens? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, what's happening? Who is this? And you've been introduced to like all these other Ironborn. Everyone dies. <laughs> it's still jarring, it, just just structurally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Lady Hornwood, bless her, mm. haunts Reek because L- Lady Hornwood had also been starving in a tower and eaten her own fingers. So I'm going to go on a rant for a while. So you guys just, you know, sit back, relax, Get- open up a, a cold boy. <laughs> 9 a.m. <laughs> Well, I'm drinking a LaCroix right now. Oh, oh, oh that's wild. what you mean by oh, cold boy. I was oh. like, I'm not yeah. about to open a beer. I could do, I guess, a bloody whatever. Ooh, that would be apt Oh, that for does this. sound good. I'm, oh, God. It really makes me upset thinking about how the Northern Lords acted about Donella. Like, mm. they acted like she was just a piece of meat and land to pass around in Winterfell at the Harvest Feast and Clash. But her actual fate is even worse. Like... They only cared about her lands and her vagina and not what happened to her when Ramsay had actually gotten a hold of her, which she warned them about. And that's what she was worth, right? Like her womb and her lands. And there are these quotes from Clash. Bran is such a good boy. Oh. Let's just everybody give a clap. for. I can't wait for Bran chapters. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. Emmett like, and I were just talking about this last night. Like he's like, you're suffering. And I'm like, yes, I am. Suffering. I can't believe there are people who don't like Bran chapters. Yeah. Yeah, they're wrong. I was surprised when I learned that. I was like, what? This passage from Clash has Bran talking to uh, Lady Hornwood when she shows up. And of course, Lord Hornwood had died just a bit ago at the battle in the Green Fork. We are very sorry for all you've suffered, my lady, Bran said when she came before him to speak her words of greetings. Lord Hornwood had been killed in the battle on the Green Fork, their only son cut down in the Whispering Wood. Winterfell will remember... That is good to know. She was a pale husk of a woman, every line of her face etched with grief. I am very weary, my lord. If I might have leave to rest, I should be thankful. So we get like this wounded woman, right? She's suffered, obviously. She's aged and suffering. And, you know, they descend on her like a wounded gazelle. Every person in the hall is like, I'm the one to prey on her. And you get all these lines from, you know, uh, Bolton's bastard is, she tells them, Bolton's bastard is massing men at the Dreadfort, and he means to take them south to join his father at the Twins, I hope, but I asked him what was up, and he was like, you can't question me. No Bolton can be questioned by a woman. Like, he's trueborn, had a right to that name. Like, she tells them, Ramsey's gonna pull some shit. That bastard boy, bastard boy's not telling me shit. Something's gonna happen. And they're just like, hey, what if my heirs came over and hung out with you and then she named them her heirs instead because she doesn't have an heir. I hope she likes them best. Or Wyman Manderley, who's like, Lord Wyman made polite inquiry after Lady Hornwood, who was born a cousin of his. She was born a Manderley, you know. Perhaps when her grief has run its course, she'd like to be a Manderley again, eh? Eh? Like, okay. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Wink, right? <clears throat> like, and she's dead three chapters after that. That's all no. in brand two in a clash of kings and in brand five she's dead 
because of Ramsey, who she warned them about. Like, <sighs> she deserved better. Way better. She did. She didn't deserve this. I'm getting real. Starting to get a little, a little fighty. Getting you know, up. I'm getting a little, a little fight or flight going Put, on putting here. Putting the just... bubbles back in the LaCroix. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. The annihilator. I feel like. Yeah, it's some bullshit. Yeah, and, and it, because it's one of those things, the show cut, I think people forget about it or like don't think about Lady Hornwood very much. But that's a, like, I don't know. That's a pretty foundational thing. The horrible things that were done to Lady Hornwood, not just by Ramsay, but the way she's treated by every single person. Like the way the, the system kind of grinds her down so that she's forced, in, like she, she ends up with no options. And like we said in our intro episode to Theon and Clash, the North isn't exactly this progressive place people kind of make it to be. Like, just because they really support Ned and Ned was a good man, a just man, that doesn't mean that all of the North is like some, you know, super liberally like, oh, our women should be fighters. Like, we learn, no, Rickard Stark didn't want Lyanna to have a sword. Mm. Like, it's not... It's not like just because Ned says Arya gets to go have dancing lessons, everyone in the North is really progressive. Like, obviously, the men of the North still treated the situation like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you have some of these quotes here, right? From Maester Lewin about how Lady Danella is past her fertile years, as she said herself, if not the bastard who. And so they just pass her off because she's older. Yeah. She's not good enough, and because of that, she's just seen as expendable, and she pays the price for all of this. Like it's weird because, like, on a reread, and when you know what happens with Lord Manderley, even though it's still he's clearly self-serving and being a little ambitious, but like that's a way better fate. Like at the yeah. very least, like yes, maybe politically they didn't want to do that for some reason, but morally and ethically, that was like a better than giving her to Ramsay. Yeah, and if someone would have just listened, you know, mm -hmm. like no one listened. Mm -hmm. Bran listened, but what could he do? He wasn't really in control. He didn't really have anything to do. And like, there's this line that I do love. It reminds me of John actually a lot, obviously, because Bran thinks of John. But he says, let Lord Hornwood's bastard be the heir. And Roderick says, that would please the Glovers and perhaps Lord Hornwood's shade as well. But do, I do not think Lady Hornwood would love us. The boy is not of her blood. So I love that little Catalan John analog, mm. too, that gets slipped mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. Especially with the idea of everyone else is dead. Who else? You know, Catalan Lady Stoneheart, like, over my undead body, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Reek tries to continue scarfing down this rat, but the sounds get louder, and he prays that the steps are not for him. Get away, he prayed. Go away, pass me by, please. Please. It's so sad. It is. Um, yeah, the, the, the quote goes on, you know, the, the rat fell from his fingers. He wiped his bloody fingers on his breeches. No, he mumbled. No. Oh, God. It's just so sad. I know, like, the, that yeah. second no and just how... Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't even say it, but, like, the, with that dialogue, you just feel that, I don't know, that, that small, like, exclamation of loss, like... It's just a rat. It's so gross, but it meant so much. Yep. Yep. There's that line at the end of the passage that I really think is important because, like, it really gives the environment that we're seeing reek in. His heels scrabbled at the straw as he tried to push himself into the corner, into the cold, damp stone walls. So, like, this is obviously somebody is coming for him, and he's just pushing himself into this corner mm -hmm. of this cell. 
And he's just that no, that broken no. He's just trying to disappear. You know, he's like, don't look at me because A, he's ashamed, but B, out of fear and preservation. Well, yeah, he knows that attention means suffering. Like if, if someone's paying attention to him, it's not for a good reason anymore. And we learn that, like, through Sansa, same thing. She learns to just become invisible. Any of these characters that are suffering any form of abuse, we learn that from in this book. So George is very uh, consistent, I guess, with mm, his mm-hmm, horrible mm-hmm. horribleness. Thanks, George. You're the worst. <laughs> and so I guess some Winds of Winter spoilers we're going to chat about just real quick. If you haven't read it, please read The Forsaken. Mm. There's, I know I'm on with, like, some Forsaken fans. Eliana saw it live. Michael, you saw it too, I right? I was in live. that room, yeah. yeah. Yep, mm-hmm, mm. okay, yep. I know uh, Eliana usually says that, so I wanted to head her <laughs> Again, off now. Again, we deserve it. Uh, <laughs> and I live in a very pro Huron uh, in oh. the Forsaken household, okay. so I totally understand. There's a lot of Forsaken <laughs> propaganda going around all the time here. So he's suffering a lot, as we know, and George does a lot of repetition from what we hear in Aaron's chapters, mm-hmm. like recurring ticks, like the sound of rusty door hinges and the language of being chosen, like you're on an Aaron's conversation of if he was praying to be chosen or praying to be passed by in the Forsaken. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And it's honestly a kind of a similar structure to the Forsaken as well, where you have, it starts off with this almost unrecognizable shade of a man in the dungeons who is then brought upstairs before this total dickhead and his like bunch of frat guys who hang out with him. Okay. Um and obviously, Aaron is brought before Euron's kind of version of these bastards boys, but where Ramsey is just a like a goofass idiot turd, Euron is a conniving goofass idiot turd. That's mystical conniving idiot turd to you. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> uh, maybe we can add pirate into that too, piratical. Yeah, mystical pirate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's a nice connection to the. The Greyjoy family, really. It's like a family tradition for them oh <laughs> to get uh, yeah. locked in a prison and, and just have horrible things happen to them. Tortured, yeah. 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 Tortured. Psychologically, sexually, physically, just I mean, tortured. In every, fun- mm-hmm. in every way that it can really happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah, pick one. Mad- yeah. And then later on, you know, Ramsay doesn't have it, but we can also be magically tortured, apparently. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Euron really levels it up there. Yeah. Truly. Yeah, cut my tongue out, Daddy. Okay. Um, <laughs> the light Ugh. hits Reek's face, and the two voices decide, wait, no, this isn't him. They're like, this can't be him, but isn't this the right cell? Record scratch. <laughs> You're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> oh, my God. That's exactly uh, what it is, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, these kids fucking suck. All right. The yeah. boys make fun of him for eating the rats, and then he confesses to eating the rats. And they're like, I don't really care that you're eating rats. <laughs> we just want to make fun of you for it. Yeah. And then yeah. they come closer to him and ask him, talk to me. Do you remember who you are? Oh, very important question. My name? A scream caught in his throat. They had taught him his name. They had. They had. But it had been so long that he'd forgotten. If I say it wrong, he'll take another finger, or worse, he'll... he'll... He would not think about that. He could not think about that. There were needles in his jaw, in his eyes. His head was pounding. Please, he squeaked, his voice thin and weak. He sounded a hundred years old. Perhaps he was. How long have I been in here? Go, he mumbled, through broken teeth and broken fingers. His eyes closed tight against the terrible bright light. 
please, you can have the rat. Don't hurt me. Reek, said the larger of the boys. Your name is Reek, remember? He was the one with the torch. The smaller boy had the ring of iron keys. <laughs> Reek? Tears ran down his cheeks. I remember, I do. His mouth opened and closed. My name is Reek. It rhymes with leek. In the dark, he did not need a name, so it was easy to forget. Reek, Reek, my name is Reek. He had not been born with that name. In another life, he had been someone else. But here and now, his name was Reek. He remembered. Uh, he remembered. Uh, yo, remember. why? This chapter is so horrific, but it's so good. <laughs> We're all just like rubbing our eyes. We're like, oh. <laughs> this is just going to be the longest section of my whole entire universe the next few weeks because it's like, this is just heavy. Holy shit. Thank God Michael's here to get through mm. it with us. They're emotionally mm. draining chapters. It is. Yeah. yeah. Thank the seven. You know, <laughs> there's no one else that I'd rather have on Papa LaCroix with. Uh, we chatted a bit about Theon and other characters who take on and also lose different identities in our Patreon episode from Halloween. Shout out to that. And we'll talk a little bit more in a bit on it later in this chapter as well. This passage has tons of foundational bits for Theon's journey in A Dance with Dragons, whether Reek, Reek, or remembering his name. We also talked a lot about that whole Beauty and the Beast idea the last few episodes and this idea that Theon goes from, you know, spoiler, a <laughs> prince and turns into a cursed beast. And this is truly the first look after the transformation is complete. This right here is Reek. Him wasting away in his cell, the kids coming to point and stare at the animal in the cage. And George doesn't fuck around, dude. He just goes straight into horror mode with all of this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Reek is kind of in the tradition of, like, the Phantom of the Opera or the Man in the Iron Mask. Like, it, uh, this just a person who has been disfigured and reviled by society, but instead of... You know, specifically in this in this universe, in this book, that is very much to do with other people, like with Ramsey doing these things to him. It's not like the Phantom who just disappears into a cave somewhere or um, the Man in the Iron Mask, which it's been forever since I've read. So that reference is entirely lost in me now, um, <laughs> like tears and rain. But it's a Aswath-specific version of that, the guy who has lost his identity through so much horror. Yeah, we see it repeated with people like Sandor. We see it with Theon. Mm. It's rampant throughout this story. Yeah, The boys who were questioning, of course, it turns out are Big Walder and Little Walder, oh. and Reek remembers them, finally. He fears going with them. He thinks this is a trap, but reminds himself they're only eight-year-old boys, which, uh, uh, as we know later on, there's some stuff that happens that, yeah, they couldn't do anything. They're just eight-year-old boys. So... We get this nice Ned Sansa-esque PTSD dive into his flashback mm -hmm. here. So if this is a trap, he cannot run, as he had tried years ago to do so with Kyra. Yeah, and this is a great opportunity for me to beat one of my favorite drums, which is that the writing does get better in the later books. Like, people who complain about it are, are wrong, objectively. But this is such a good flashback, and it's really well done. There's a tricky thing with flashbacks in that's the switching tenses to make it clear that you're in a flashback, but then keeping the reader in the moment. And he's really good at going from, like, he had run before had been Kyra with the keys and then it switches to rather than she had begged it just says she begged 
and he said like it switches to present tense in the flashbacks you feel like you're in it and then jumps back in and that's tricky to do that's tricky to do it right if you try writing a scene like that you go oh where do i where do i put the hads where do i put the like where does it switch from past perfect to past imperfect you know all these kind of things so i i I just i just want to like champion that a little bit just be like Mm -hmm. this is good this is definitely it is (laughs) no it's very compelling and this chapter especially like the writing moves very quickly and it Mm -hmm. keeps you in the moment even though it just like we talked about earlier this is a shorter chapter not a lot happens it's a guy that goes upstairs but Mm -hmm. every single second of these like eight pages keeps you gripped yeah 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 and I think that the show made a right choice in not including flashbacks, but so much of the story of A Song of Ice and Fire has those flashbacks and is playing with this idea of time. And we're going to see that throughout this chapter where, you know, Reek's been questioning. He's like, am I a hundred years old? How long have I been down here? So in this flashback, though, Kyra comes to Reek with keys and asks him to help her escape to Winterfell because she doesn't know the way. They ran and splashed across the river, and Reek told Kyra that he'd saved them. But turns out it was all just a game. They heard the Mm. hounds, and Theon said they should split up. That way they can't both be tracked so easily. But Kyra was too scared and refused to leave him. Soon the dogs came, biting Kyra one at a time. And she tried to fight back at first by throwing a stone at Ramsay's head, and then she missed. Ugh. Yeah. Reek remembered the desperate, frightened look in Kyra's eyes. She never looked so young as she did in that moment. Still half a girl, but there was nothing he could do. She brought them down on us, he thought. If we had separated as I wanted, one of us might have gotten away. The memory made it hard to breathe. Reek turned away from the torch with tears glimmering in his eyes, which, hey, by the way, there that's the transition out of the flashback. It's such a nice little yeah. turning <sighs> away from, yeah, anyway, really visual thing getting us back in the scene um what does he want of me this time he thought despairing why won't he just leave me be i did no wrong not this time why won't they just leave me in the dark Mm. he'd had a rat a fat one warm and wriggling oh my god (laughs) that's straight up a golem that like that's from yeah yeah there's just it's so heart-wrenching because first you see kyra she tries to fight it's almost aria-esque you know she tries to fight back but she's still she's still a girl And so much of that escape here, like what Theon is suggesting, but they are unable to do in his like plan of this is how we're going to escape. It it reflects that chapter where he's hunting the Stark boys and how they succeeded. Theon and Kyra, they cross the river, but they are not dire wolves and cannot swim upstream of it like the wolves are able to do. And like Mm -hmm. the Stark boys and their wolves, they don't split up. They stay together, which we see in Theon's chapter was integral to the Starks being able to escape. And, like, I think, obviously, a lot of this is patterned subconsciously on them. And it's apt, again, with, like, Ramsay being that dark mirror to Theon. Mm. But maybe part of why this plan doesn't work out for Theon and Kyra on, like, a narrative level is going back to that idea of courage and heroism splitting up is a cowardly idea the idea that only one of them might get away and obviously i think there's a slight hint there that that hope that maybe it's him on his part but Mm -hmm. in the end like when we get to the end of dance theon stays with jane when they escape they do Mm -hmm. it together he's not running from his fears he's facing them and the way that he couldn't do anything for kyra he's trying to do something for jane 
Mm. Especially when he's so included in Jane's suffering in so many ways and he's there and he sees it. And of course, Jane is someone he knew before the transformation. So where Kyra was just another girl where he kind of knew her, Jane was like, that's the girl that hung out with Sansa every day. It's why Theon's last A Dance with Dragons chapter and that leap to faith is so important. It's a literal leap to faith. I also just realized particularly damning of him being unable to save Kyra is he's the one who's delivered her to this fate. Yep. She was just mm-hmm. like Absolutely. living a decent life in a tavern and then she br- he brings her over and then Ramsay asks for her. Yeah. 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 It's all it's all it's all connected. It's all that those sins of Theon. Yes. Yeah. It's really Catholic. Uh <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, I feel like George's Catholic guilt is it might be slipping in here a little bit. Hmm. Some of Theon's original sins. So the two Walders consider washing Reek, but they remember Lord Ramsay likes him stinky. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, that's what they say. Yeah. yeah, I know, but what the fuck? <laughs> so rude. Reek has to go with them. He must obey like a dog. Yeah, Theon thinks of a tail tucking between his legs, and then if I had a tail, he would cut it off. Huh. Early reference to losing the old yenitals there? Yeah, or, I think um, so. Yeah. yeah. It's a I little mean, on the nose or on the ball, I guess. Whoa. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. It's starting to hint at that, even though it's not said explicitly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as he's thinking this thought and fearing him, he's like, oh, wait, no, 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 I'm sorry. The bastard won't cut it off. We can't call him a bastard anymore. He's Ramsay Bolton, not Snow. Yeah. Right. We get this little line. Calling him Snow reminded him of his bastardy and sent him into a black rage. Reek must remember that. And his name. He must remember his name. For half a heartbeat, it eluded him, and that frightened him so badly that he tripped on the steep dungeon steps and tore his breeches open on the stone drawing blood yeah and again like names and how the holders themselves relate to them is just such a big thing in a song of ice and fire especially as we see in afuk and adoda oh my god how, oh my god the, <laughs> the title change how the title changes for the chapters and reflects those name changes mm. uh we see theon in A Clash of Kings, doesn't like when the Ironborn call him a Stark. He doesn't like when the Starks call him Theon Turncloak. We also mm. see throughout, especially in this book, Dance, like Ramsay, of course, hates being called Snow as a reminder of his bastardy. And it's an inter- interesting contrast to John, who has been taught since book one to own his bastardy. And he doesn't hate the name Snow, but he hates how it is paired with the word Lord. He hates being called Lord Snow in Dance. Whereas Ramsay's mm. craving that. I love all of those mirrors. Yeah. It's so good. Identity is like played on so hard in all of these interconnecting Stark plots too. It's like George really hammers this theme home, right? You have fake Arya, who's Sansa's best friend. Ramsay, who's really a bastard, eventually holding Winterfell. Jon Snow, who's secretly the heir to the universe, who doesn't <laughs> feel right holding Winterfell. Sansa, who gives up her identity, lives under a fake name, biding her time to take her home back. Arya, who tries to shed her identity with no plan on taking back Winterfell, and Rickon and his claim, or whatever with him, you know, whatever. And, uh, I mean, even Lady Stoneheart, and of course good old Theon, you know, snarling in the middle of it, a prince Mm. forced to take on the identity of a horribly treated manservant and animal. Yeah, the way Arya totally sheds the name Arya throughout the books, like, you know, going from Weasel to Aerie, or what, you know, all all these different names. Mm -hmm. Lumpy. Absolutely connects to, yeah, yeah, absolutely connects with Theon, and Reek here because both of them as sort of like defense mechanisms need to abandon the old name. 
And then it's so funny that we have a fake Arya. It's this like three-layered parfait yeah. of, of Arya Theon identity swapping and and yeah, just a big old big old double decker sandwich of of identities. I'm getting hungry, I think is is <laughs> it's breakfast time. Yeah, and Yeah. Yeah, like Reek and Arya become these just skins that someone can slip into. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, while we're getting uh, like gross while we're here. Yeah. Oh god. Oh, again, little on the ball. <laughs> Oh god. And of course memory plays a big part in that and in the yard Reek is appreciating wow this is the outside world look at all these smells and the light this is what it's like. Yeah, he he did not know how long he had been down there in the dungeons but it had to have been half a year at least. That long or longer. What if it has been 5 years or 10 or 20? Would I even know? So, of course, this is, again, playing with time, but I have a, I kind of wonder, especially because he talks about five years, is this another five-year mm. gap rever- reference? Like, how Littlefinger's mm. like, if only I had five more years for my seeds to, to plant and grow. I imagine it is. I mean, it's also playing on him not appearing since Clash as well. Yeah. <laughs> 13 years. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the time from Clash to dance, for sure. Yeah, it, it works really well on a, on a meta level, that timelessness feeling. Like, wait, yeah. how long has it been? Uh, I also love that it's also like that little joke of, ha, 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 I don't know what time it is. Like, everyone's on a different schedule in this book. <laughs> yeah. The dungeons are just, like, removed from it. Mm-hmm. But out here, Reek feels the cold wind and thinks, oh, winter will be coming soon and wonders how many fingers and toes he will have by the time it arrives. Oh, so poor, poor boy. He shivers a lot. The word shivers happens a bunch in this chapter. He shivers a lot, and it's not just from the cold, but from thinking of Ramsay. So there's this whole, you know, loop connecting Ramsay, fear, mm-hmm. cold, bad, no good, bad, Ramsay, cold, fear, you know, like all these these things that all kind of get in the same semantic neighborhood. It's just kind of fun the way Ramsay is the cold and is the others, and, it, you know, he, he's, he's all the bad things. And it's, mm-hmm. I think necessary for what makes this chapter so successful it's very much showing that change as opposed to just telling mm-hmm. us that this person is scared or yes. that ramsey is terrifying yeah yes. it makes you feel it in your bones mm. he is shocked at his appearance in the light he wonders again how much time has passed but he makes his way to the hall which smells delicious all the real food not just rats as Reek mm-hmm. goes through, he feels the eyes upon him, and Ramsay is sitting with his favorites, the bastard boys, Ben Bones, Damon Dance for Me, Grunt, Sour Allen, Skinner, and Yellow Dick. There are others who are familiar to Reek, but also strangers. He shivers, thinking that he was brought up here to amuse him. And again, like this is where the Forsaken vibes really kick in, when, when Aeron is brought up mm. before um, Newt the Bar, or whoever it is. I, I can't remember the Ironborn who are with Euron, but... When he's when he's brought before that sort of, it's like a it's like a panel of judges who all suck. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> all corrupt. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you get those great lines that I think also apply to this chapter, which is what was it like? Blood is power. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. A lot with those villain connections. Yeah. Two lords share the dace alongside Ramsay. I'm just gonna read their descriptions here. Mm. for them uh one was gaunt with flinty eyes a long white beard and a face as hard as a winter frost his jerkin was a ragged bearskin worn and greasy underneath Mm. he wore a ringmail burnie even at the table 
The second lord was thin as well, but twisted where the first was straight. One of his shoulders was much higher than the other, and he stooped over his trencher like a vulture over carrion. His eyes were gray and greedy, his teeth yellow, his forked beard a tangle of snow and silver. Only a few wisps of white hair still clung to his spotted skull, but the cloak he wore was soft and fine. Gray wool trimmed with black sable and fastened at the shoulder with a starburst wrought in beaten silver. So these two lords are the Karstarks, uh, I guess, what is it, Carnulf, Arnulf Karstark and Hother Umber? Yes, yeah, yeah, Hother Umber is the one wearing the bear skin and the ringmail Bernie, which makes him a Bernie bro, if you're keeping track. <laughs> oh my god. Track. Um, <laughs> yeah. Topical. And then Ar- Arnulf Karstark, which we don't find out until later, but you can pick up on the starburst wrought in silver. There's yeah. no way yeah. to know who Hother Umber is in this chapter. Oh. Um, Unless the umbers all wear Bernies, like those stupid fucking hats the Tarleys wear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because you can tell just by their physical description that, like, oh, even though Reek doesn't know them, he's these people are already being framed as, like, shitty. Yeah. yeah. His eyes were gray and greedy. Mm-hmm. Flinty eyes, yeah, that little, like, beady eye. Exactly. Yeah, never good, never good. Worn and greasy, and... Alongside them is Ramsey, and he is, of course, dressed in the Bolton colors. And mm. he's got this super edgy thing going on now. He's got a piercing. It's only in one ear, because, you know, that's how you do. And it's a garnet shaped like a drop of blood. Oh my god, edgy. It's <laughs> a hot topic ass bitch. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that there's this, like, detail. I forgot that was a detail about Ramsey. I know, that he has an earring. I know. I didn't, because it's shaped like a teardrop. Like, what is this, Sailor Moon? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. It does, sound like, it does sound like one of those kinds of, like, Outfits. 90s, those 90s villains in yeah. anime. Absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, it's, uh, it, it's immediately also noted that... Um, Yet for all the splendor of his garb, he remained an ugly man. Like yeah. Ramsey is is still George. George still does that thing with his villains, where the villains lips. tend to look uh, gross and ugly and bleh, big wormy lips and bleh. worm um, lips. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a there's an artist that makes really really ugly art of Ramsey that looks <laughs> right, and I'll have to figure out what their name is. You guys probably have seen it, but like they have big wormy lips on him, and it's just oh, he's gross. I think I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And they do a lot of other stuff too that I'm like. Eh. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because we pointed it out before that both Joffrey and Ramsay are described with wormy lips, but Joffrey is still like in that realm of it's different from Ramsay, who you said is described mm-hmm. as ugly, and we know that he's evil underneath all that fine garb. Whereas Joffrey was beautiful and dressed finely, and still a yeah. monster. Yeah, Joffrey's all that glitters is gold, but not really. Yeah, Reek also notices that Ramsay's eyes are like his father's, ghost gray, because Bruce Bolton is in this story too. Ramsey introduces his serving man to these these other lords. They're like, this is Reek, and he's been with me since childhood. And they're all like, um, oh my god. I thought that guy was dead. <laughs> like, we went over this two books ago, remember? That guy's dead. Yeah, and we get this whole passage where Ramsey tells them, you know, the Iron Men will tell you what is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger, like Reek. He smells of the grave, though, I grant you that. I don't know. He smells of night soil and still vomit. The stoop-shouldered old lord tossed aside the bone that he'd been gnawing on and wiped his fingers on the tablecloth. Is there some reason you must needs inflict him upon us whilst we're eating? <laughs> you can be this person, Michael. Yeah. The second lord, the straight-backed old man in the male burning, studied reek with flinty eyes. 
Look again, he urged the other lord. His hair's gone white, and he is three stone thinner, I. But this is no serving man. Have you forgotten? Ah. The crookback lord looked again and gave a sudden snort. <laughs> Him? Her? Can it be? Stark's ward. Smiling, always smiling. Uh... And Ramsay says that, like, says, like, oh, he smiles less often now after I've broken his teeth, and ugh, and we get this like really gross, like, at the end, this very last bit where Theon's just like, you know, just damaging himself. Where Reek says, "Yes, my lord, I was bad, my lord, insolent," and he licked his lip, trying to think of what else he'd done. Serve and obey, he told himself, and he'll let you live and keep the parts you still have. Serve <sighs> and obey, and remember your name. Reek, reek, it rhymes with meek. This entire exchange, I, I wanted this in here about the Lords because it just goes to show you all those things that Chloe was saying earlier. Like, the Northmen, not all of them are that much better than the rest of the realm. Like, they're mm -hmm. describing the torture of Theon as tedious to them. They're like, oh, just kill him now. And it just shows how removed they are from their humanity and their people, like, they're acting like they're that much better than Theon because they're like, oh, he turned his cloak on the Starks, but here they are, like, just eating alongside Ramsay and Roose Bolton, mm. who overthrew their lords at the Red Wedding. Like, there's no justice in what's happening to Theon. This isn't northern justice. If they really wanted to give that, they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Let's just execute him now. Right? That's what they would yeah, have suggested. Yeah, don't play with your food. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't be taking a pleasure in it. Like, Ned Stark is like, there should be no pleasure in that. Right. And Ned wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have tortured Theon. Like, these people are from the North, but they're not the who we associate with that moral compass in A Song of Ice and Fire. And the only mm -hmm. reason they, like, are like, yeah, we should just kill Theon because this isn't amusing to them. They're complicit yeah. in all of this, like, bullshit. Yeah. Ramsay observes the blood on Reek, or Theon, uh, Reek's fingers, and accuses him, of, accuses him of chewing on them. Reek denies it, so, of course, he'd done that before to stop the pain from the flaying. He lost another toe for doing that before, so we just get more of this torture of Ugh. what Ramsay's been doing to Reek, and Reek confesses that he had been eating a rat. Ramsay says that these rats are stolen from the Lord of the Dreadfort, Roos Bolton. I want to do a quick comparison of some of the language that describes the torture that Ramsay is doing mm. with Joffrey. So in this chapter, we have sometimes Ramsay would make jokes about balancing him out. My lord was only japing. He tried to tell himself, he does not want to hurt me. He told me so. He only does it when I give him cause. His lord was merciful and kind. And compare that to in Sansa's first clash chapter with the angry purple bruise Sir Mirren had given her had faded to an ugly yellow, but still hurt. His fist had been mailed when he hit her. It was her own fault. She must learn to hide her feelings better so as not to anger Joffrey. And mm -hmm. of course, what Sansa mm -hmm. undergoes is not in the same extremity as what Theon does. But it is worth noting how this language frames both Ramsay and Joffrey as abusers the same way. They are villains and their power works by twisting that world and reality to make their victims feel as though when they do something this quote-unquote punishment is their quote-unquote fault and that the abuser was uh forced to do it rather than it truly being the fault of the one committing the evil act and again it's like that dark meredithian greyjoy who in clash thought he was so merciful despite killing the northmen and taking over winterfell and it's that question of well it's not really mercy right is it really mercy to do something awful to people and then when you don't go further call it goodness right yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's totally the Tywin model too. Right? Yes. It's like, uh, you know, his his whole hypocrisy of like, oh, when when a, when you've got a foe beaten and they kneel down, like take their hand, welcome them back up. But that's not what he does. It, it's much more in the line of what Ramsay does and, and what Joffrey does, which is beat the shit out of someone and then tell them it's their fault and that yeah. they made they made you do it. Yeah. And then, of course, there's that grooming of like that mm-hmm. psychotic, scary, like Cersei was it on it too with Joffrey and Sansa mm-hmm. of that like, oh, but we love you. You know, you're the most beautiful girl in the world and you're a princess and we love you. But also, this is all your fucking fault and you better be pretty or I'm going to murder you. I like it when you're pretty. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah. Theon's experiencing that, but times five. Yes. So one of the lords is finally like, this is totally tedious. You should just kill him. But there's more in store. Ramsay tells Reek then that he's going to be marrying Arya Stark. Reek remembers her and thinks she is only a girl. But he congratulates Ramsay anyway because he doesn't want to lose any other parts. Yeah, he's doing that performance of servitude. But at least th- mm-hmm. within like that interiority and those thoughts, we see that there might still be some Theon in there. He's not completely lost or mad as he fears he might be and... He knows that it would be wrong for Arya to wed Ramsay because he's familiar with the monster that he is. Yeah, and I mean, even with all that <coughs> that internal monologue we got where he's, you know, blaming himself and he's he's sort of bought into the abuse and grooming that, that Ramsay has done, he still has this moment where like his first reaction is like, Oh, whoa, no, this is bad. Like he he still has that sort of core center deep, deep down when he's struck with the horror at the idea of Arya Underfoot being wed to Ramsay Snolton. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Theon's still in there. And I think that's that's the bit at the end of this chapter that finally comes back up more and more as the story goes on. Oh, Theon cares about the Starks. He cares. Theon loves the Starks. Oh my God. Theon loves the Starks. <laughs> Yeah, it's that dichotomy of the remembrance, of the remembering of A, who he was before, Theon, remembering Arya, the Starks, and all that time, and then having to remember what's been forced into him of Reek. There's all these things he's balancing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He promises to attend the wedding. Nice. (laughs) It's going to be great. He RSVPs. It's going to be lit, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for this, Ramsay is like, well, we'll clean you up for that. Maybe we'll feed you. Because, after all, has to look good when they head out to go get his virgin bride. Ugh. <laughs> Leave Jane yeah. Poole alone. <laughs> the whole virgin bride thing at the end. I feel like it it kind of comes back to, eventually, when Roos tells Theon about how Ramsay was conceived. Yeah. Um, and the whole first night type thing. Like, the Lord's right to a woman's maidenhood like that 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 really totally fucked up thing is what the chapter ends on um (laughs) yeah yeah it's fun stuff it's fun stuff all around god Uh Mm. well now that i'm sufficiently depressed yeah (laughs) yeah good morning i wasn't before (laughs) this was this has been a real wake-up call good morning oh my god Wow. Well, we couldn't have done this without you, Michael. Thank oh, you for bringing your excellent voice, your your uh, reek voice. Oh us. my gosh! Thank you for letting me do it. Yeah, a place to express yourself. Yeah, exactly. I don't get to do this, you know, uh, very often. I just have to wait till I'm like all alone, and then I can sit in the house by myself. All right, doing yeah. the reek voice. <laughs> what? <laughs> How many years had it been since he'd been reading this reek voice? 20? Five years? Ten years? Uh, does 15? Mrs. Bookshelf yeah. know this? God. <laughs> Looking over my shoulder towards the door. <laughs> No, I've been. La- yeah. I, think, I think my reek voice actually woke her up this morning. Like oh, no. I, I, as I've been in here recording. Like, oh god. <laughs> uh, 
Well, tell us again where we can find you on the internet, Michael, and any new stuff coming out for you. Of course, yes. So I am on Twitter at Bookshelf Stud. I am on Maester Monthly. There should be a Maester Monthly out by the time you're listening to this, and that will be the best of 2018 roundup, which is quite a fun episode. We have a new special guest, one of the new mods. And you can also find me, gosh, I don't know, on YouTube at Bookshelf Studios, where I do have my my recipe videos, my recipe trilogy. Um, Go check those out. I'll teach you how to make pasta and oatmeal and water buffalo sandwiches. Yeah, no rats yet. I did get a request for someone, uh, someone left a comment asking if I can do a video on how to make hot dogs without mustard. And I was like, I sure, dude, Uh, I I can do that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're awaiting that. Oh, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us, Michael. It's always a blast. Obviously, yeah, that, this me. was super fun. Yeah, thank you guys. This is my world's colliding. Yeah. Yes. We'll yeah. do this again. Thanks, Michael. And of course, as always, you guys can catch us on social media at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter or send us an email if you want at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And of course, be sure to follow us for all these chapters and for everything. Subscribe to us on Podbean. Apple, iTunes, <laughs> Stitcher, Google Play, Acast, Spotify, all of these things. And hey, if you got some money rattling around in that wallet of yours, check out our Patreon. We start our tiers at $1 and up. $5 and up patrons get special episodes, which this month we will be recording our third chapter of The Dance of the Dragons. It is a uh, three-parter so far. We're hoping we ended at three parts, but we will see. <laughs> Maybe it'll be seven, you know, like five I think it's going to be a 27-part chapter episode of The Dance of the Dragons. And, of course, we did just create a stretch goal on Patreon. We are close to hitting a 1,000, so once we hit a 1,000, we are going to do a live stream for VIP members of Patreon. We're going to make it like a party. Maybe VIP members get the link, and if you get in, you get in, you know? You know. You know, it's VIP experience, so. Yeah. Popping bottles. List. Exactly. The list. <laughs> you can sit in the VIP area, in the lounge-ish area, yeah. instead of being out there dancing amongst the unwashed masses. The pores. <laughs> XOXO <laughs> gossip girl. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> I, yes. All right. Anyway, so thank you, of course, for joining us again. I have been one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. And I have been another one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor. Thanks so much, you guys. Turning it topsy-turvy, yeah.